This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm joined by Tim Atia, who is the CEO and co-founder at Slice, Slicer of Business Suretech. And Tim joins us on the line from Toronto this morning. So welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Tim, it's a pleasure, pleasure to have you on the show today. Really looking forward to hearing more about the, the work you're doing there at Slice and yeah, some of those interesting initiatives that you've got going on there at the moment. Before we do that, though, would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your background, your career, and what led to you starting the business? Sure. No, absolutely. Actually, my co-founder, Stuart, and I have similar backgrounds. We both uh, grew up in Montreal in Canada, and uh, we went to at McGill University in Montreal in the electrical engineering program. So we kind of didn't know each other, but we're both in the same year, same program. And uh, when we graduated, um, four of us had, had moved to, got jobs in Toronto. And so we were roommates, you know, all four of us had to live together to be able to survive uh, nice. back then. So I ended up being roommate, roommates with Stuart and actually we got our first jobs at the same company. And back then we were in sort of real time embedded software and, and he left a uh, year in, he couldn't uh, take Toronto. So he moved to Ottawa and that's where our development shop is uh, still remains in Ottawa today. And then we've stuck together ever since uh, pretty much. So we, uh, we joined, uh, one year out of school, we joined a Canadian consulting company called CGI at the time, a couple hundred people, 20 million in revenues. Uh, fast forward, by the time we left, it was 15,000 people in public on the New York Stock Exchange. But one of the things they did was they bought Teleglobe Insurance. And that started my journey into insurance, which was a company that was in the US and it was CGI we wanted to move into the US. And I got a knock on my door in Toronto saying, go to the Atlanta office and run the office of this company we just bought. And I walked into an office that was reading ISO circulars, which are US regulatory circulars and updating COBOL and assembler systems used by the largest carriers in the US for their commercial uh, business insurance, commercialized insurance. And I walked in and that's, you know, I, I don't want to count the years, but that's probably 25 years ago now. And I, wa- I walked in and I was like, it can't be that hard, you know? So 25 years later, I'm still trying to figure it out. So I think it's hard, but yeah, that was our introduction. So overnight we had all these large carriers as customers. Uh, Stu, my co-founder came down because he had stayed technical. So we had a bunch of software. We had Rateabase, which was one of the first standalone rating engines and insurance writer. We had all the software and that wasn't typical of, of a company at the time. So what are we going to do with all these assets? And we got hooked. We, we had all these big customers. It was a huge problem. Uh, we didn't understand it. And uh, so we ended up leaving and um, we spent, we started a company. We spent the next 
13 years or so building, I'll call it policy claims and building systems across two companies. One was Chameleon out of Toronto and then Exogen after that. But uh, that was really core systems for carriers. Um, you know, that's, you know, it's like heart surgery in these large insurers to try and replace technology. It's difficult. It goes on for decades. It, uh, it's incremental, um, huge, huge projects. So we did that. And, you know, I, I would say slowly learned insurance over that period of time. And then we crossed over to the dark side in our next life and we became online agents. And so uh, prior to Slice, uh, I was at Bolt and we were at Bolt and we were doing we're an online agency in the US, one of the first direct consumer small commercial, but we had a platform as well, but it was a distribution platform. So it's like incredibly complex to get insurers to ingest technology in their core system. So we're like, well, what about putting lipstick on the front end and making just a great experience on the front end and front end multiple carriers. And um, so we did that and build platforms, uh, distribution platforms for large, large direct writers, uh, carriers in the US. And we learned a lot because now all of a sudden we're agents. So we learned that it's really expensive to acquire insurance uh, in the US. And this was in the US. So we primarily done our work in the US, but you know, some of these big carriers are spending billions of dollars on, on advertising. And we learned that it was really, really hard, but we've always been B2B to C. So we had joint brands with, with credit card companies and so forth. So we've always been, you know, you know always a sort of a B2B to C model. And that led to Slice. We were, we were like, uh, if we want to truly impact the industry, uh, we needed to be sort of in control of everything. We couldn't just be front-ending a bunch of carriers' ancient systems. We can't give technology to the carriers, and that changes the game. We, have, we, we, were, we wanted to be in control of everything. But there's a couple of other things we didn't want to do. We didn't want risk on the balance sheet. We didn't think it was a, you know, it was you know a good idea to have risk on the balance sheet. And um, and uh, we were we 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 were, were cooperative, so we wanted to work with uh, carriers or distribution while we were. I'll call it building our platform. So we were very sort of, we wanted to cooperate with insurers. And yeah, so that led, led to Slice. Awesome, awesome. Tim, I think your career is a very interesting journey and particularly being so heavily involved and so deep on the technical side of the technology and the systems, both sort of within the insurance industry and, and outside of the insurance industry and now obviously lots of experience of building out insurance businesses so really looking forward to hearing more about slice before we do though as we are in the insurance coffee house this morning tim what is your normal go-to coffee of choice there in toronto you know like probably everybody else making coffee at home i uh, got a couple machines one is you hit the button and then it grinds and makes it for you and i turn it to exactly uh, whatever it is, uh, five ounces, and then you, it's it's an, the machine is an ounces, you know, it's a European machine. Oh, but I also have one where I grind it, pat it down, put it in, get the right pressure. But I'm uh, uh, in in Quebec in French, they would say allongé, uh, which is uh, uh, basically an americano, which is a uh, espresso with with more water, which is a yeah. nice creme, creme on top, no yeah. cream, no cream. Nice. And I'm I'm on my fourth this morning already. Wow. Wow. I think I'm on my fourth now as well, actually, Tim, but it's <laughs> 10 past four in the afternoon here rather than late morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we got a similar taste in coffee, that's for sure. Tim, thanks for that. If we now turn to Slice, I know there are several different parts parts to the business. See, would you mind giving our listeners an overview of the, the business, what you do, where you operate, and where the business is at the moment? Sure. So we sent out, set out to bail what we would call a full, I'm going to call it digital insurer. And that's not really a, 
you know, right, recognize words. We wanted to do everything the insurance company does without taking risk. And I, a lot of people would call that an MGA or a digital MGA and try and do it with uh, engineers and algorithm rather than algorithms rather than people. So yeah. there's sort of three, three things that we were after. One was uh, remove as much expense as possible. That's pretty mundane. But we had watched large carriers in the U.S., direct writers like Geico and Progressive do very well by removing expense. So, you know, the low-cost provider sort of wins kind of thing. The, the other part of it is it's insurance. So, you know, could algorithms outperform people in terms of underwriting and claims, right? So can we, could it perform better? And then lastly is more about customer or user experience. Can we get a better customer user experience, which is difficult because not, not, you know, most likely people don't want to buy insurance, but the claims experience is, is critical. So those are the things we set out to do. And we wanted to, our background had been all the way from when we were building systems, when we left the giants or building systems at uh, Chameleon and so forth, we focused a lot on specialty and then commercial lines. That's where we cut our teeth. So we wanted to go into open field. We wanted to write what the carriers weren't writing so that we could co collaborate with them. And at the time when we started, it was uh, six years ago now, and it was the on-demand world. So Uber was coming along. It was a, you know, we started when we were online agents. We were one of the first direct consumer small commercial. And we were running in these companies that were having challenge getting insurance because they were, uh, they were, um, you know, new new businesses. And at the time, most insurers wouldn't write anybody less than two years in business. And they were an app company, which was the, the next no. In California, they wanted, you know, to allow people to use their private cars to drive like taxis in violation of local municipal regulations. It was a time when the Ubers and the Airbnbs, all these guys were getting going. And the insurance just drove a wedge in the insurance industry because like you're a person one second, you tap on the button, you're a business. And in the insurance industry, you walk through the front door and if you're a business, you turn right. And if you're a person, you turn left. And so we thought, let's let's start an open field because if we innovate an open field, we don't have to compete head to head with them. Uh, we've been around the insurance industry for a long time, and we were we we definitely didn't feel we want we want to go head to head. But if we did something they didn't do, we could cooperate. So we started in uh, I'll call it business insurance, commercial insurance, but focused on in the specialty realm and focused on these gig workers. Right. So that's where we started. So $8 a night Airbnb hosts. Right. So ensure your place for you're acting like a hotel or you're, you're an Uber driver and you're now, you know, acting like a taxi. So we started in that whole gig space and we wanted to build a sort of a fully digital insurer. And, you know, nobody wants to come along for that ride. We like to cooperate, but we, you know, we didn't want to take risks. So we, um, we, we went and got our own, you know, did our own actuarial, did, wrote our own form. And in terms of hiring external resources to do that, one of our investors was Munich Re. And with Great Lakes Reinsurance, we signed our first binding authority agreement in a pub in, in London. Everything should be digitized except for that. That should always stay yeah. yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and off we were. We wrote our first policy a year in in the great state of Iowa. A year later, because we're B two B to C, you know, we went when we we went live, and we that's where we knew we're, that's where we're going. We went live on the Progressive's brand as Progressive Home Share by Slice. And in our previous life, we built their home, worked on their homeowners platform or the bolts. We know them fairly well. 
And, 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 and with our work we did with Progressive and our other investors, AXA Excel, which was Excel Catlin was an investor. So we, put, we did cyber with them. Sample was an investor. We put out a product in Thailand with them. And, you know, we did products at HomeShare in the US and UK with Munich Re. Uh, cooperators in Canada, we, we've been out about nine, and we, we work with these carriers and their distribution to sort of refine the platform. And, and we started with $8 a night policies, and we moved up to bigger and bigger risks, and eventually cyber. And then now we're out, out in the, you know, we're, we started at $8, $8 policy, and now we're at $2,700 a policy, and we're writing $10,000 policies. And so we've slowly moved up to bigger and bigger businesses. But all, all, always staying in the specialty realm, and of course, we we see ourselves as a tech company. But we think the insurance uh, company of the future is a tech company. So we sort of don't really separate the insurance and tech within our company. Our tech people know insurance, and our insurance people know tech, and that's sort of how we and and we 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 have a methodology called hackathons that we worked with our carriers to put up these products quickly. And the difference is we bring everybody together. So the insurance companies are very siloed, right? So an insurance company has got property, well, commercial lines and personal lines. So two different towers, right? They don't talk to each other. And then you walk into one tower and there's casualty and property, you need a casualty underwriter and a property underwriter. So there's all these silos and layers and silos and layers. And we, we wanted to remove all those silos and layers because we didn't want any separation. So and we thought, we thought it would be a lot more efficient if we remove silos and layers. So don't really separate whether we're working on commercial or personal. We don't separate whether it's you know, property or casualty, we just need an underwriter, right? And we focus on what's the need backwards, not what the line of business is in the back and the whole organization built around one line of business forward. That's what we tried to do. By doing that, by building backwards like that, do you find that's how you found these solutions for these gig workers for these for the Uber for Airbnb, whereas traditionally they wouldn't be they wouldn't be packaged into personal lines, they wouldn't be packaged into commercial. They're falling somewhere in between. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you start, you know, in this new world, you start with the customer's journey backwards. In the in the older world, you start with a line of in, in the US, you'd start with an ISO line of business and an ISO form in the basement forward. So the opportunity on the table, and we had some people who joined us, our head of underwriting had come out of you know traditional insurance and a large broker, but 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 he wanted to innovate and he wanted to, you know, he wanted to build new products. So we started with okay, what is the, what is an Airbnb host doing? Well, you know they're using a personal property, so we can use a, a personal lines homeowners form like an HO three, and we can put it beside a CGL, a commercial liability, and put them together. So that's new because we're only insuring the period of time that they're acting like a business. It's under a commercial form, but more importantly than that, we had overages and utilities. If somebody goes in and uses up all the internet or downloads movies, infestation, vandalism to neighbor's property. And a lot of these things we found out because um, we put out what's called a minimum viable product in Iowa. And then we stayed with all the super hosts and we said, what else are we missing? And they said, oh, somebody did this. And we're like, okay, well, let's add that. And, And so it's a very iterative process and then we went to Colorado next. And next thing you know, to work with Progressive, we need to be in all 50 states, but we're iterating it. Insurance companies like to put out perfect products. And perfect products take a long time. And by the way, when you put them out, they're not perfect. But, you know, so it's a whole mindset shift of 
let's put out the minimum viable product. Let's see what the market's looking for and let's rapidly innovate, uh, it, um, uh, iterate. And, you know, the new technologies allow you to do that. So, uh, you know, very much the product was driven. I remember uh, staying with some hosts and they say, hey, you know, it'd be great if we had that and we would look at it, talk to the underwriters and actuarial, go back to the capacity in Munich Greek and say, hey, can we have 500? We were trying to get a million dollars of liquor liability and they're like, really? No, you can't have that. We're like, yeah, but if they throw a party, send an Airbnb, the host, the owner of the house could be dragged into a liability claim on liquor. And we finally got a $500,000 liquor liability limit inside of there. We even put cyber inside of it. So it was just a, it's really working from that backwards. The only other option would have been like there was no option because you'd walk, they'd walk in and they'd say, hey, I'm, a, I'm using my personal stuff as a business. The business side would go, well, wait a minute, we don't look at houses. And then the housing side would say, well, wait a minute, we exclude you. We exclude, we have a specific exclusion for you running a business out of your house. And so it, 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 uh, it was falling apart, right? So that's, uh, uh, so it was a good place to innovate, but the challenge with that is it's a niche. So, you know, it's a good, and, and so as, as you move through it, we started to move to bigger and bigger markets. And now we've entered the, you know, the, the small commercial specialty market and we put out a, a liability product and we partnered. We partnered with a large distributor, a large MGA, and uh, we put these in the market. What are the key benefits, would you say, for the either end customers, the, the policyholders, or for your distribution partners? Is it the way that that insurance is tailored and it is very specialist, covered from all that intuity that you've been adding to it? You know, I think, so we're traditionally B2B to C, so we're not really dealing directly with the customer, even though we might have some interface to customers. So for example, that product that we're talking about, we distribute it through a large network of agents. And we started that even with cyber. So we're putting it through agents and brokers. And, and the agents and brokers are similar. You know, we like to call it a user journey rather than customer journey. So we want all the people using the system, whether it's a, a customer, an agent broker, an underwriter, whoever, to have a better journey. And what's happening with the with what we're seeing with the brokers is they're they're sort of gravitating, especially in the smaller business lines, towards this experience where they can just do it you know, more simply, they don't have to talk to anybody. We have so far don't have a, even a screen for an underwriter. So the system's doing all the underwriting. Obviously, we need underwriters to train the system, but we don't need underwriters to deal with the agents at the time of issuing the policies. We just, you know, underwriters get to underwrite, not do all the other things they shouldn't be doing. So we need underwriters. We just don't need as many underwriters as a, a traditional setup. So, yeah, so for them, it's, it's just quicker. You know, it's it's built on the sort of the new world. We just put a credit card in. You don't have to, you know, get a, you know, insurance companies still seem to love billing systems. You know, the whole world has gone to payment and insurance companies still want us, you know, billing systems. So, you know, it's just easier for them. And, and, and when they're coming in and um, it's not a large premium, uh, they really want to get it done quickly and, and efficiently. And so that's one side of it. For the insurance, the carrier side, because you have to put the risk somewhere. They don't want bad business. So the system has to help help in terms of improving, improving the underwriting and making sure they have better data, more consistent underwriting, um, uh, more consistent uh, claims processing, and less expense. So one of the what, what can you do with less expense? If you have less expense, there's a couple of different things. You can pay the channel more, right? 
especially on new business, you can use it to, and some of the direct writers in the US on auto did that. They would, you know, uh, spend more on advertising because they have less expense. So there's ways that you can, um, you can pass on the benefit that theoretically you could have, you know, we're not in regulated lines. We're in certain ways, we focus on excess and surplus. So yep. more like London market stuff. And that has, we have more flexibility in form and rate and pricing. So you could, you could pass on savings as well. You talk about the distribution being B2B to C. How have you found growing in line with those customers? Presumably you bring some deals, you know, some partnership deals through and they're likely to be quite large deals, which you've then got to then fulfill. How is the challenge that as you're growing quickly? What have been the biggest challenges you've faced with that so far? Yeah, so we, we come from the technology side, even though we've been around insurance long enough that, you know, most people we work with say, hey, you're, you can't say that anymore. You can't say that you no longer can say you're coming <laughs> from technology. After 20 something years, you can't really draw the line anymore. But yeah. the technology is hard. And when I talked about competitive advantage, I, I mentioned uh, lower expense and, you know, better underwriting and claims and better user experience or customer experience. I didn't mention technology because Technology is not really a sustainable competitive advantage because uh, it's you know technology is a bit of a boat anchor in the sense that whatever you're doing today is going to be you know exponentially worse tomorrow because it, technology is it's accelerating exponentially. So whatever we're doing today in technology and AI ML is going to be obsolete like tomorrow. So, but if you have the margins, you can take advantage of tomorrow's technology. You can continue. You can continue to move across that path of that technology. So. I said, so the technology is hard, but the insurance is harder. And I think that that's the, that's the part that is really difficult for technologists coming into the industry. I was trying to be flippant that 20 years later, I still don't get it, but it is, it is really hard, right? So if you speak to somebody that's, you know, been underwriting a line of business for a long time in specialty insurance, that knowledge is hard to gather. The amount of data you need to be good at it and make money at the insurance takes time. And, and, and I don't think it takes like six years, right? So uh, some of these companies in the US will have 60 years or 40 years of auto or motor data. That's, that's hard to replicate in five years. And so you have to find people that know how to write that business profitably because anybody can, you know, anybody, it's easy to write it unprofitably, right? <laughs> and, uh, and grow fast. And then the actuaries come in three years in and have to fix your book. And, but to grow it profitably, and that's one of the reasons we picked the specialty commercial space. A, it's fragmented. The largest commercial carrier in the U.S. maybe has 5%. It's not, you know, it's fragmented. The specialty market, you have a much more control over rate, even on our home share book. We made actuarial pro- our actuarial profit all the way along because in open space you can price it. You don't have to compete with spend 15 minutes and save 15 percent. You can price it, pick the best risks. You know, so we got our profit sharing all the way along. Now it doesn't scale as fast as trying to jump out in the main lines and and write at the lowest price, but you you tend not to get as ki- you know killed on the insurance side, and that's a challenge, right? So the challenge is. How do we, and so we've been trying to partner on, on getting that knowledge, but eventually as we find products at scale and we now have products at scale, they're growing double digit month over month, we want to take more of it. And to take more of it, we need that knowledge. 
right? We, we need the knowledge we're learning, but we need the knowledge on the line of business. And that's the part that's hard to, it's really hard to replicate overnight, right? There's, uh, you know, I, some of the, I was talking to some uh, new carriers in the UK and I said, okay, so why did you become a carrier and not an MGA? And they're like, well, you know, we thought about an MGA, but the main reason is they had great underwriters. They had people who knew how to underwrite those lines of business and they've been doing it for 20 years. And that's, that's hard to replicate. It's really, really hard to replicate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Tim. We've now reached the time of the show, the espresso round, where the questions are short, sharp, and straight to the point. We both share a love for our Americanos in the morning. You're, you're on your fourth one already. Are you ready for the espresso round? Sure. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go for it. The espresso round. Tim, how many people are you looking to grow the business by in the next 12 months? Yeah, we're trying to keep it efficient from a person perspective but i would say that if you look at our plan on the on right now we're probably going to grow it by about 20 people in the next year about 20 people and what are the culture or the the cultural values that you're looking to build within the business there yeah we we, we still remain and it's from the beginning of our career a very flat organization so not a lot of layers and silos you know very distributed decision making we're very big believers on we do what's on our business card and we're not, I'm not doing my job good enough to try and do somebody else's job. We, we, we have a, some very, you know, ingrained values. I mean, we're really trying to sort of make a difference. Uh, we're trying to reimagine things. We're trying to do things that are, that are innovative. Uh, we are big believers in just trying to have, you know, it's not just about performance. You know, we actually have a high value on having nice people around and we've run into issues with that before, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we're very collaborative. Uh, we're very, you know, multidisciplinary, very open. We're very goals and mission driven, right? Here's what we're trying to get done. And then everybody gets behind it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much our culture. It certainly sounds very collaborative and people are not siloed into different yeah. areas, different parts of the business. But how do you maintain those values when you're scaling, particularly coming out of the pandemic with people working remotely or people working from home? How do you go about keeping everybody working collaboratively and not in their own little silo? It's hard. I mean, it's hard on the technology side and in general, it is hard to get things done uh, remotely. We find uh, it's, it's difficult. Some people are saying it's not hard, but I... I we kind of call it like how do you you know it's kind of like assemble a Tesla by shipping it around to people's house. That's just right. It's like some things you have to be uh, to be done in person. However, we when we started the company initially, there were three of us, and all three of us were in different cities. When we were three people, we were in three different locations. So when you start that way, the whole company ends up being built from a distributed fashion. So I remember yeah. we had an operating model. And it was one sheet of paper. It was like, oh, if you're going to sell the company, don't forget to ask, you know? <laughs> you know so, but but you, you can't have centralized decision-making when you're, when you're distributed, right? right. And it can be a single point of failure, but you also have to worry that people don't drift, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful that all of a sudden everybody don't go in a different direction. I don't live in the same city as our whole development group. Am I going to be talking about something and they're doing something completely different? So right from the beginning of the company, we've had this culture of, I mean, I've, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, it's, you know, working at home. It's kind of, our head office is in New York. I'm in Toronto. We have maybe four, you know, five or six people here. And uh, a lot of people in Ottawa, you know, we have a service center in Cleveland. I've been in, I've been working on my basement the whole time. So we're, if, when, if I'm doing it, 
And the whole company has been been built that way. So our company has been built very distributed, which means decision-making is distributed. We say, here are our goals and our objectives. Here's which way we're going. And we trust that we all think the same way and we're going to come up with the same answers. And that whoever's the person that's supposed to be doing it is going to make the right decision. And so do we do... But do we make mistakes? Of course. But I mean, that's, you know, if we're not progressing, then we're, if we're not making mistakes, probably not, not progressing. So the company is, it's kind of built into the DNA of the company. Our head of marketing is in Colorado and she's been there the whole time, right? And she's kind of the heart and soul of the company. Yeah. You think that attracts a certain, a certain type of person to come to your business? Maybe an executive from one of the big insurers who's used to that corporate world, that corporate environment, maybe, maybe they wouldn't be so successful in a business like yours. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's an interesting one. We were, you know, we are we are a lot trying to scale up a lot on the uh, on the insurance side, mm-hmm. and um, I remember we were looking for um, a good story, looking for a senior um, insurance person, and and the person that come out of actually running an insurance company, and then at the end of it, it came down to us or a really large carrier, one of the largest carriers, and we're like, how's it? How's that even a choice, right? How's yeah. that even? So unfortunately, uh, he picked the uh, carrier, right? Yeah. And then I reached out to him, or he reached out to me, maybe you know six months or eight months later. He's like, "I used to be the head of this small carrier. Now, you know, even my boss is like seven layers from the top of this company, right? And he lasted there like less, like maybe a year, right? And I think that if you if you are, are frustrated by the amount of layers and silos and there's something that you're trying to get done you know that you can improve improve and make a, not an incremental change not five basis points some incre- some you know reimagining and big change within our environment is the best place to do it because we think that if we keep the number of people small like let's say you know hundreds of really 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 you know smart people the right culture we can put that into technology and that technology can, can allow us to scale. We, we were, I mentioned that company that we were 200 people when I joined, we were on fire when we were 200 people and 20 million. I mean, we were on fire. We were growing, at one point we were the fastest growing stock in North America. And I, I told you we left at 15,000, right? Yeah, true. And I think the company now probably has like 40,000. It kept going or 60,000. When you were 50, 15,000, it was hard to find. It was really, if scaling, the only way you're going to scale is add to add people. Mm-hmm. It causes all kinds of inefficiencies. All of a sudden, you don't have the same, you know, when you were 200 people, you could walk down the hall, you could call, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, it just, you could see that what you were doing, you know, could go into the technology and the technology could scale it. And that's what we're trying to replicate, mm-hmm. right? So we need... You know, uh, we don't want to build a compliance department. We need compliance people to come in and say, this is how compliance needs to change and help us build that compliance module that's going to learn out of time to make sure compliance. Regulatory reporting. We don't want a big group of people doing regulatory reporting or paying taxes to the state. So it's really a lot about how does a, a group of really, really smart people get their knowledge into technology and then the technology is used to scale. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, one example is in Canada, we work with, with cooperators and they have a brand called Duo. And we, we work very, very closely with them because without them, we wouldn't get there. But now they've got, you know, nine or 10 products in 10 provinces. Cooperators is a big, big, big insurer. 
And uh, Duo is, you know, small and nimble within their, their organization. They have, you know, don't know how many people they have, but nowhere close to, you've been counting them on a couple hands, not on thousands and thousands of people. And I think that you can see that when it's a small group like that, uh, they can innovate really quickly. So that's where we want to keep that, right? And we want to keep that ability that we can collaborate with each other and then whatever idea we have, it's, it's sort of like the Tesla, right? If some new feature comes along, they download it to every car and every car's got it. That's what we we want, right? We don't want to have a driver in every car. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Different factories. Yeah, fantastic. And Tim, final question of the espresso round. What would you say are those key foundations or infrastructure that's essential to building and growing in, in tech business? What, what are the sort of the key fundamentals that you need to have in place there? I think I think it's um, it's very the key thing is to get. Uh, people that are multidisciplinary. So you need you can't have tech people that are not insure, interested in insurance, and you can't have insurance people that are not interested in technology. And there's lots of insurance people that are interested in technology, and there's a lot of technology people interested in insurance. So I think that that's uh, the whole multidisciplinary side is really important. And then the other side of it is, you know, we at the end of the day, we become operators. And so it's just having good people who can operate the company, right? Anywhere from, uh, you know, people in HR to finance, to ESG, to all, all across the, co- the company. And, and of course, you know, co- company culture, I, you know, for me, for us, company culture has to ooze out of the walls. And it's something that we, we sort of do every day. And, and we're very open about it. You know, we put it up on our website and so forth. But, you know, we want to, we would want people who want to make a difference and realize that in a small team, something that, you know, is maybe take five layers and 10 years to get done can be done in weeks, right? We can just go out. We have a big culture of experimentation, right? So uh, because we can iterate quickly, let's experiment. What is, what does the end consumer or the user think? Not what, what do we think? And so this big, big culture of experimentation. So, but we need to know we need people who know who know insurance and know it really well. I mean, not not just uh, not just at the service level, even after 20 years, I put myself in the service surface level. If we're going to go into a specific line of business, we need people who know that really, really well. But, you know, I, you know, we have people who can, you know, over over a couple of coffees, rewrite a, rewrite a, an insurance form. And that's just amazing. Right. Uh, and, uh, it's not that the big insurance companies can't do that. It's just to get that done has so many layers and, and it's so waterfall because it has to go through, you know, the actuarial group hands it off to the pricing group, which hands it off to this big waterfall. Whereas we bring everybody in the room and do it all at once. Yeah. It sounds like a great opportunity for anyone who's potentially as an insurance carrier or an insurance broker at the moment who are maybe a little bit frustrated with time or some of the processes that are in place there. If they really want to be involved in making a change, then it sounds like you've got some great opportunities there as you continue to grow. grow and, your- all, and, and I know you introduced me as a founder or co-founder, but we're like, we've left that too, right? right? So we're we're more of uh, operators now, so it's yeah. how well do I do my job? And the, I think the benefit now also is we're no longer, I'm going to call it in the startup mode, right? No. We're, running, we're running a business now. We have 
sophisticated investors, we're growing and we, you know, so that, that requires, the, the good news is, you know, along the way, I think we made a lot of friends too. So it's not just, you know, what, what do we think about ourselves is what the people we work with along the way think about us as well. There's, if somebody's going to join us, there's a lot of places they can look for, I'll call it references, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, and it's the best of both worlds because it's that, yeah. Yeah, it's that opportunity to be involved in change, but also from a stable base of very strong business, very strong foundation to, to build upon. We're almost at the end of our time together, Tim. Before we go, though, what would be your closing piece of advice to maybe an insurance executive or to a to an insure tech leader looking to set up a, a new business? What what would be your piece of advice to them? Um, I, I think you know the the making sure that you have. Uh, a, a, a balance between insurance and technology that, and that there's sort of no separation between the two of them, right? So yeah. there's no, there's no like it's an insurance company that has technology or it's a technology company that has insurance that, you know, insurance and technology are on sort of common footing and that you set up, organize the company so that it's not, those two things aren't siloed. So that, um, you know, um, I, I remember, I think I heard on one of your, your previous po- podcasts, somebody mentioned that also, but you just don't want the insurance and the technology people to be siloed from each other. Because then you're just back to, well, there's the IT group and here's the, uh, because we are, we are a product company, right? So which means we, we have two products. Our product is the insurance product and the technology product, but they're, t- they're intertwined because the, insur- the technology is also the operating model, the digital operating model. So the, the product is a combination of insurance and technology. So the technology isn't like I went and bought technology over there that everybody's using that I'm going to adapt to my stuff. It's your own, right? Just like it's your own product, it's your own technology. So I think, you know, just don't silo those two pieces. You know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm on the technology side, so I always came from the technology side, so I always think the insurance is harder. But I was talking to a long-time underwriting person recently, and they're like, oh, no, no, the technology is harder. I guess it depends what your, your core is, but you've you got to be willing to sort of dive in on and become expert on both, right? Yeah. So we're about to put out a work comp product, and I love seeing that our technology people now understand comp. Yeah. Right? Like, they understand it like as well, you know, if there's no separation, they understand it. And I know that certainly comes down from the leadership and from your own background where you still describe yourself on the technology side, even though you've been insured yeah. for 25 years. So that, that goes to show the in-depth knowledge on, on, on both sides there. Tim, thank you for that. Tim, if anyone wants to reach out to you after the show, how would they go about doing that? Uh, they can just email me at tim at slice.is. And certainly if they reach out to you, Nick, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I certainly will. I certainly will. We'll, we'll definitely post your email there on the on the show notes along with your website and other details so people can, can look you up whilst they're listening. The insurance people are a hot commodity. <laughs> That's right. Let's put, That's that, right. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, we certainly know that. We certainly know that, Tim. Tim, thanks so much for your time today. Really, really enjoyed it. Great to hear not only from you, but it sounds like things are going really well there at Slice and really interesting time ahead. And I'm, I'm sure there'll be people reaching out to you directly or, or through ourselves, finding out some opportunities there. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Brilliant. Cheers, Tim. And to all the insurance and insurtech leaders out there, wherever you're listening around the world today, I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights, advice, and some great learnings from what Tim's had to say today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show 
I'd like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.